welcome to, to Fusion City Church. I know that, that Pastor Quentin said that already, but I ain't got to talk to you yet, so I'm going to say welcome, and we're glad that you're here. My name's Brian. I'm the teaching pastor here for Fusion City Church. It's a, it's a privilege and an honor for me most weeks to, to be able to stand up here and, uh, during this portion of the service and open God's Word as we uh, just continue learning together what it is that God has in store for us. And like, like Quentin mentioned at the beginning of the service today, we're in the, uh, the sixth and final week of a series called Peeled. Uh, the whole kind of premise and context for this series for the last several weeks has been uh, us trying to figure out how we can peel back the outer layers of who we are, kind of get through some of the surface stuff so that God can do work in us, like on the deepest, most intimate parts of us, that God can begin to change us there so that what changes there would then flow out into the rest of our lives and, and even into the lives of the people that we interact with every single day. And so we started off this week, week one, we talked about what, it, what the true gospel is, that the truest, purest form of what it is that Jesus came to communicate to those who would follow after him and for his disciples. And then the message of the church became what we know to be the gospel, gospel simply meaning the good news. And then week two, we talked about the difference between your thinker and your knower, that, that all of us have things that we think about, but sometimes our thinker can get confused. But there's something deeper. There's a deeper part of us. There's our soul. There's our spirit. We refer to that as our, our knower. And we said that we can, we can know with our thinkers, but we can't ever really be certain. But there's some stuff that we can know with our knower that's real, that's legit, that can begin to really change us at the deepest parts of who we are. And then in, in week three, we talked about what, what it looks like and feels like to be slaves and how we can, be, we, can, we can begin to experience real freedom when we be, stop thinking like slaves. And then we talked about what, what real freedom looks like, how we were set free for a purpose, that we weren't set free just so we can go and do whatever the heck we wanted to do, but we were set free for a reason that God had a purpose for our freedom. We talked about that in week four. And then last week we said that, that how, we, how we figure out, how we determine, how we measure the success that we're having in this battle of our, of our spirit, of our knower versus our thinker. How we understand if we're doing well in the spirit versus our, our fleshly, earthly selves. How we know is by the, the fruit that we exhibit. And we talked about the fruit of the spirit last week and how that we can use that to measure the, the, how we're doing in this battle between our spirit and the flesh. And this week, we're going to look at chapter 6 in the book of Galatians, the sixth and final chapter in the book. And Paul begins to, 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 to kind of close out this letter that he wrote to the people in Galatia, explaining to them all the stuff that we've talked about for the last several weeks. And before we dig in today, though, I want to set it up a little bit in this way by, by, by saying this. Paul's letter to the people in Galatia, which now we have as the book of Galatians in our Bible, it was a letter written to believers, to the church in Galatia. Paul writes with what we refer to oftentimes in kind of pastor world um, as assumed knowledge. Paul writes with an assumption, an assumption that everybody that's hearing this and everybody that's reading the letter and everybody that he's communicating to is a believer. It's, it's a believer writing to Believers, And today as we get into chapter 6, it's going to be a believer writing to believers about how to interact with believers. That was an assumption that Paul had as he wrote his letter. But can I tell you who doesn't have that assumption as, as, as I talked this morning? And that's me. Like, I, I don't, let me back up. 
There's something in, in church world, all right? Let me, let me we'll, we'll take a vacation for a minute. We did this last week. We took a vacation into Scripture. Today, we're just going to take a vacation into the inner parts of my mind. Y'all hang on for the ride, all right? But th- there's something in, in, in church world, something that I refer to as, as small church mentality. Here's small church mentality. Everybody that's here today was here last week. And everybody that was here last week was here the week before that, and they were here the week before that, and they were here the week before that, and they were here the year before that, and the decade before that, and in some cases, the century before that. Like, we ain't had any new people in 200 years. It's just us. And the assumption is that because it's just us, we all know that we're all believers in here, so let's just act like believers and talk like believers, and we'll talk to and about and for believers. Small church. No new people, ever. That's who I desire us not to be. We're, we're, we're not an extreme, we're not a large church by, any, by, by most things that you use to measure church size. We're not, we're not very large, but we still don't have small church mentality. And, and here's, here's why. Because myself and the leadership of this church, as, as God began to birth this vision into us about what Fusion City Church would look like, we want to be a place where there's new people every single week. Furthermore, my hope is that some of you in the room this morning are not believers. Like, I hope that, that you're here and you don't have a relationship with Christ, some of you. Because, that may, because it tells me something if you're here. That you're, that you're investigating, that you're checking it out, and that you chose this place as an opportunity for that to happen, and that, that means so much to us. And so if you're here for the very first time or, or you've been here for a little bit, but you, I like to say not yet believers because my hope is that one day you will be a follower of Jesus Christ and that you'll believe in the hope that comes through him. I, like, I hope that you will, but if you don't yet, man, I'm so glad that you're here. I'm grateful that you're here because you gave us a chance to be the, the medium that was able to speak into your life about something that you've got some questions about. And this is a great place to have questions. And it's a great place to come in here. If you're not, if you're not okay, and you're not all put together, and you got some junk in your life, and you're a little bit jacked up, and you got some past, and you got some history, and you got some stuff you're dealing with, hey, welcome to the crowd. We all got some junk. I ain't got it all figured out. Just because I get to preach every week don't mean I got all the answers. Amen? Yeah, y'all know. <laughs> some of y'all didn't know me. That's a hearty amen. Like, I got some, I got some stuff. There, there may be another crowd with us this morning. It's those who are trying church again. Like, you tried it before. Maybe you went to a place and there were some, we'll use the air quote thing, well, there were some Christians didn't act a whole lot like Christ. You got hurt. Somebody offended you. So you kind of gave up on the whole church scene for a while. But you're here. That, that tells me a couple of things. First, it tells me that you, you realize that there's something that you need. And you, you know that there's something more. And there's something that you're searching for. And again, it means that you chose this place. And, and most of the time that happens because somebody that was already here... Say, hey, man, like, I know I, I, you told me about your whole church deal, and I'm, I'm so sorry that that hurt you, and I'm sorry that, it was, that, that people hurt you, but, you know, but, 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 man, you should try my church. 
Because it's a safe place. It's a place where it's okay to not be okay. And if I'm telling you, it's just, there's just something different about that place. And I would argue that the difference is small church mentality of, hey, it's just us. We all got it all figured out, so let's just get together. We'll sing a couple songs. We'll let a dude talk for a little bit, and then we'll all go home. That's small church. But, but, but large church or I would say gospel-focused and gospel-centered mission that we feel like God has put us on, says that, hey, man, this is a place where it's okay to figure stuff out if you don't have all the answers. If you got some questions and you got some stuff and you got a past and you ain't quite got to figure it all out, this is the place you need to be. Look, check it out. I ain't holding any stones. I don't got any rocks to throw. Jesus said, let him who didn't have any sin throw rocks. Ain't nobody in here holding any rocks because we all got some stuff. Amen? Amen? Amen. Now, said all of that so we can set up the context for what we're going to talk about today because this is Paul writing to believers. So if you're not a believer, not, if you're not yet a believer, all right, Paul writing to a different crowd. If you are a believer, you need to perk your ears up. Because Paul's got some information that he wants to communicate to you today through his letter to the church of Galatia, preserved for us in God's word over a couple thousand years. I get the opportunity to try and explain it to you. <laughs> Lord, help me, because I know some of y'all. All right, so here we go. Galatians chapter 6, we'll begin in the beginning. That's always a good place to start. We'll begin in verse 1 of chapter 6. And Paul says, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual, should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Last week we said that one of the parts of the fruit of the spirit was gentleness, so we restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch, however, keep, keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. See, see, Paul is writing to believers. He's writing to people who have a relationship with Jesus Christ, but he says, hey, look, be careful because it's possible for a believer to be caught in a transgression or a sin or something that's wrong or something that goes against God and his plan for their life. It's, it's possible to be caught in some of that stuff. The word caught would indicate to be trapped. The, the, the Bible says that there's a sin that entangles. I get this picture of stuff being wrapped around my feet and I just kind of like Christmas lights. If you guys have been doing that recently, like that's kind of how sin works. It gets under your feet and then like you just, you, you're stepping on glass and it hurts and you're you get it. So, like, so that, that's the, the kind of mental picture I get when Paul says that, you're, that someone's caught in a transgression. He says, hey, those of you, other believers, there's a responsibility that you have as another believer. It's to help the person that's caught in some stuff. That we have a responsibility to other believers to help them when they're caught. Because sin in the life of a believer, it's very dangerous. It exists. All of us have it. But it's dangerous. There's a couple reasons that it's dangerous. The first, I was thinking about this 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 week just a little bit as I was reading to this, about the dangers of being caught in sin. It creates within the believer less anticipation about Jesus coming for the second time. Let 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 me explain to you how I came to this rationale. Maybe you had a mama that gave you this threat when you misbehaved. 
You wait till your daddy gets home. How many? Show of hands. How many, how many had the wait till your daddy gets home mama? Right? Now, most days, most days, pretty excited for dad to get home. Like, hey, dad's going to come home and go out in the backyard shoot some hoops. Dad's going to get home and go do some cool stuff. Dad's going to get home. I can go hang out with dad. I kind of like dad. Dad's a good guy. Dad's cool. Until I mess up. And mom says, oh, wait till daddy gets home. I ain't ready for daddy to come home. Daddy can stay at work until the cat, like, daddy can just live. Daddy can move in at the warehouse. Like, just stay at work. Like, I don't want daddy to come home. Now, for, for the believer, caught up, entangled, wrestling, overwhelmed in a, in a sin, in a transgression, in something that would distance them from their heavenly father, it creates within us a lowered sense of anticipation about the day that our father comes. You tracking with me? So, 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 so in order for us to, main, to remain healthy, we got to help one another. When we're caught up, it's the responsibility of every believer to help those who are hurting. Second thing it does is it, it limits the ability of God to do the things through us that he wishes to accomplish. You see, each one of us, when we begin a relationship with Jesus Christ, God gives us a spiritual gift so that we can accomplish things for the spread of his message, for the spread of the gospel, so the good news can go further. God gives each and every one of us an ability to do something for his kingdom and for his work. But when we are caught up in sin, our testimony, our story, our ability to minister to other people is diminished because of the things that we're already caught up in. So again, Paul tells us, we should help one another. If, if one of your brothers or sisters is caught up in a transgression, you who are spiritual should, should with gentleness, with love, help. Help them. Help them work through it. Then he gives us a warning. But be careful. Be careful that you also aren't tempted. Because I know this to be true. Sin is fun. If it wasn't fun, nobody would do it. Sin is, if you sin and you didn't have fun, you didn't do it right. Sin is fun. It's appealing. It's attractive. It's tempting. So when I'm helping a brother or a sister that's struggling through something, that's just a hypothetical, I'm helping a friend of mine and he's telling me about like, the problem that he's got with some attraction that he has some, for somebody at work that isn't his wife. And he's telling me all about, man, she's, she's so good looking. She's got this long, pretty brown hair and she got some other attributes that are not, not important for me to go into. Like, and she dresses like this and she says stuff like that and she makes me feel like this and she looks like, and she walks. And I, I start thinking to myself, man, that sounds pretty dang good. I'd like to find me one of them. Like, like it's, you, you see what I'm saying? So, so as I'm helping my brother walk through and work through his temptation, all of a sudden I'm like, yeah, dude, you need to live her alone so I can go. Like, like that's not, Paul says, be careful be careful when you help your brother and sister so that you too don't fall into the same thing that you're trying to help them out of. It's good advice. Verse 2. Paul says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. So, again, he's reiterating, we should, we should help one another. We should help carry the burdens that are too heavy for somebody to carry on their own. When it gets too hard and they get caught up and they're burdened and they're weighed down, we should help them. 
And he says, when we do that, we are fulfilling the law of Christ. What does that mean? What's the law of Christ? Well, in, in, in the Gospel of John, chapter 13, verse 34, Jesus said, a new commandment I give you. Love one another. Love one another in the same manner that I have loved you. Love as I have loved. It's a new commandment. It's the law of Christ. So when we show love to somebody else, brother in Christ or, or otherwise, we are fulfilling the law of Christ. When we love as he loved. Jesus Christ loved. And so what, what did he do? John 3.16 says that for God so loved the world that he gave his son. Jesus took upon himself the weight of our sin. He carried a burden that we couldn't carry. So when we carry another's burdens, when we bear another burden for a brother or sister in Christ or somebody who's not yet a brother and sister in Christ, when we do that, we are fulfilling the law of Christ. Paul goes on to say, For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Show of hands. How many people know somebody like that? Well, they think they're something. Yeah, a few of us. Okay. For anyone who thinks he is something when he is nothing deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor, for each will have to bear his own load. Now, again, just a moment of clarity here. It's like, wait a minute, Paul just said we're supposed to help each other carry burdens, and now he says we've each got our own load to bear. Yes and yes. All right, here's the distinction. There are times in our life, there are burdens that you and I can't carry. We can get caught up in some stuff, limit our ability to do the things God has called us to, and therefore have a burden on us that we can't get ourselves out of. Paul says, in that case, you should step in and help. At the same time, each and every one of us, because God has given us an ability and something that he wants to accomplish through us, we each have a responsibility to the gospel to do our part. There is a mission and a mission field that God has placed you in that only you can do. There are people on this earth that only you can reach with the gospel. Uh, sometimes I, I like to laugh. People will say, hey, Pastor Brian, will you come and talk? Will you come and share Christ with my friend? Or would you come and share Christ with my, my brother? Would you come and share? Like, man, what's wrong? Like, I'm just another dude. Just because I got the title pastor doesn't make my words any more holy than yours. God didn't make them my brother. God didn't make them my friend. God didn't make them my parent or my what? They made. He made them yours. We each have our own load to bear. We have a portion of the gospel that is ours to carry. We have a story that's specific and a mission as well that God wants to accomplish in and through us, the individual. Verse 6 this week touched my heart. I'll share it with you. Verse 6 says, let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Y'all get that? Here's what that means. Your pastors need a raise. Let, hey, hey, let, it's the Bible. Let the one who is taught, that's y'all, share all good things, that's everything you got, with those who teach. Amen and amen. Let the name of the Lord be praised. All right. I wish I could take it out of context and make it say that. 
Unfortunately, I had the better sense to, to, to read a little bit deeper and find out what this is really saying. And here's what it says. Here's what it means. I, I have an incredible honor. Pastor Quentin and Pastor Jonah, the volunteer leaders and the staff here that, that we have, we, we have an incredible honor to be responsible for sharing with you and teaching and leading and doing all the things that God has called us to, to do as, as church leaders. And when there is joy in your life as a result, when, when, when radical transformation and good things happen to you and your marriages get put back together and children who, who were once lost come home, when, when all the good things that happen as a result of your faithfulness, we get to share in that as your pastors. And, and for you, for, for those that you're ministering to, for that, that little six section of the mission field that God has called you to, when great things happen in the lives of those that you have the ability to teach and lead and work with and do life with and minister to, I mean, you get to share in that. Any victory that takes place in your circle of influence is a victory for you because you were there. God put you there. God put me here on this stage for, I'm still trying to figure out why, but God gives me the opportunity to speak and to teach. And so when, when, when I get to hear about the tremendous, amazing things that God is doing in your lives, man, I, get to, I get to share in that with you because I had a, I had a small part in that, of, of the teaching and the things that, that you do as a result of what you learn here. Man, that gives me tremendous joy. I get to share in all the good things, the things that really matter. And I'm grateful Paul goes on. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will reap from the Spirit eternal life. This has been the recurring thing that we've talked about almost weekly. This internal battle, battle between our, our flesh and our spirit. And Paul says, look, whichever one you sow to the most is the one that you will reap from the most. If you sow and you feed in and you pour into your flesh, you will reap the corruption that comes from a life that was sown into the flesh. But if you, if you sow into, if you walk out, if you focus on, if you pour into living and walking in the spirit of God, then you'll reap the things that come from walking in the spirit of God. I can't remember if I've used this illustration early on in, in this series or not. Sometimes all my messages kind of run together. Sometimes I have thoughts and I think I say them and I don't. So if I've already said it, I'm gonna say it again because I got the microphone and I get to do that. It's an illustration that I heard several years ago. Uh, I think that the person in the illustration issue was, was supposed to be some kind of mystical descent. And they said, when I picture this life that I now have in a relationship with God, I get this mental picture of, uh, of two dogs inside of me that are fighting. And the person that they were telling the, the, this, their vision to said, well, how do you know which dog wins? He says, whichever one I feed the most. So when we feed that, that, that internal battle that's going on, when we feed the Spirit and we sow into the Spirit and we pour into the Spirit and we focus on the Spirit and we try to walk and live in the things that God has called us to in the Spirit, we will reap the things in the Spirit. That will be the dog that we're feeding the most. Starved dogs don't fight very well. And so Paul here tells us that if we sow into the flesh, we'll reap from the flesh. But if we sow into the Spirit, we'll reap eternal life. And most weeks I have a, a, like something for you guys to write down or a note to take. And this week I don't, but I do have um, 
a verse here in, in chapter 6, it's verse 9, that I think is a great encouragement for all of us as we fight this fight of, of spirit versus flesh, as we try to sow into our spirit and not into our flesh. And Paul says this in verse 9, he says, And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. I think if there is a disheartening portion of any relationship that I have with with people who I've I've seen walk away from the church, it's the moment that they give up. It's the moment when when walking in the flesh and doing things God's way, they they, they felt like it was supposed to look different and feel different. And I think oftentimes the misunderstanding is that if I just put my trust and my faith in God, then everything's going to turn out great for me. And then when it doesn't, because it doesn't, I mean, it just doesn't. God never promised us an easier life. He promised us a better one. How many, how, how many know that, that, that good things don't come easy? It takes work to have a better life. And so, so God allows us to, to work through some stuff so we can have a better life on the other side. And sometimes people get in the midst of that. And then the difficult times and the hard times and the, the pruning that God has to do. If you were in one of our connect groups this week, we talked about the, the pruning that takes place in our life as God trying to produce more fruit in us. Sometimes the, the pruning gets so hard and it hurts so much, people quit. They give up and they walk away. And here Paul says, man, if we just don't give up, we'll reap what we've sown and it'll be a good harvest. We can't give up. Verse 10, so then, as we have the opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. I think that's important. Again, here, Paul's talking to the believers. He's writing to the believers, and he says, hey, we got to do good to everybody, but man, especially to those who are also believers. Again, in the Gospel of John, Jesus said, this is how people will know. We read a portion of this verse last week. This is, people, this is how people will know that you're my disciples. This is how you'll prove that you're my disciples, by how you love one another. There is so much disunity in the, the global church of Christ right now. It's disturbing. It hurts to see how Christians talk about other Christians, how believers talk about other believers. Paul says, man, we got to be careful. We've got we to do good to everybody, but especially those who are in the household of faith. And here's why. And I say it all the time, but I'm going to keep saying it because I think it's, to, until we start, until we get it right, I'm just going to keep saying it. The change that we want to see in our city and the surrounding community. The mission and the vision that God has called us to as a church of connecting this city to its Savior. The mission that God has called us to to make it impossible for anybody in the city of Kannapolis to go to hell. That vision and that mission, it can't start out. It can't start with those who aren't in the church. That, that is the mission field. But the mission field can't be reached until we get it right in here. It can't start with them until it starts with us. And it can't start with us until it starts with you. 
So here's how we reach a city for Christ. We start with us. You start with you, I'll start with me. And then on the encouragement and the direction of the Apostle, the Apostle Paul speaking to us the words of God, I'm going to help you if you'll help me. And then when we get it right between the two of us, we'll go find somebody else and we'll go help them. And then the three of us, we'll go find six more people. I don't want to try and do the math because it'll get crazy. But you get it. I don't even know the population of the city of Kannapolis right now. But I know that we've got just over 200 people that call Fusion City Church home. Church has got to start with us. We get it right in here. We'll make a change out there. Will you help me? Will you commit to being part of what it is that God is doing in your life? And in the lives of those that are part of the household of faith. That's your Christian brothers and sisters. Once we start treating each other right, maybe the world will listen to us. They don't want to hear a thing we have to say when we're constantly fighting with each other. So for 2015, you're going to hear a lot about church unity. Not only unity inside of our walls, but unity with other churches in this city. Because here's what I also know. I have a vision to see the city of Kannapolis reach with the gospel of Christ. I don't think Fusion City Church can do it all by ourselves. So we want to find a way to partner with other ministries and other churches to do what it is that we feel God is calling us to do. We can be the catalyst. We can be the spark plug. We can be the ones that refuse to let that vision die, but we don't have to be the ones that accomplish it on our own. God has big plans for us as a church. But those don't happen until it starts in the life of each and every one of us. Would you pray with me? Father God, we love you. We thank you so much. We thank you so much, God, for the opportunity that we have to call you our Heavenly Father. So Lord, now in these moments as we worship, as we reflect, as we sing, as we pray, God, as we, as we reflect on what it is that your word has taught us today, God, we, uh, my hope and my prayer is that none of us leave this place the same that we came. That God, we leave with a renewed motivation, a renewed vigor in our lives, God, to see the gospel message be preached to every ear in the, in the community in which we exist. Because we can't do that in our own strength. God, we need you. We need the hope and the peace and the love that only you have to offer. So God, this morning, my hope, my prayer is that you would speak fresh and new into each and every one of our lives, that God, what we hear today, what we commit to today, God, will be this incredible mission that you've called this church to accomplish. But God, the mission has to start inside of us, inside each of us. So God, would you help us to own it? God, would you reveal to us the part that we play, the, 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 our portion of the mission of the gospel? God, show us and then give us the strength to carry it out. And God, for the one here this morning that doesn't know you, God, maybe this is their, their first week here or maybe they've been here for a while and they're asking questions and they're not sure and they're not, they just don't know what, what their next step is. God, I pray that today, God, will be the moment that they respond. They'll put their faith and their trust and their hope 
and the only source that never fails. And God, that is you alone. Father, we love you. We thank you for what it is that you're doing in our lives, in our church, and in our city. God, we love you and we pray it all in the name of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.